you know, these people, they need to do what they say they're going to do because people's lives are at stake when you erect a structure. Materials have to be proper. Um, the, your subs have to be right. The engineering's got to be right. The designs have to be right. So to me, it, it really all goes back to the consistency of someone's character and their leadership qualities. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of building and remodeling. I'm Todd Miller of Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of metal roofing systems and other building materials. And my co-host is Seth Heckeman, uh, also of Isaiah Industries. Our goal here at Construction Disruption is to provide timely and forward-looking information that is helpful to those who are serious about our construction industry and serious about their careers. As part of that, we always look at new innovations as well as trends in construction, building materials, the labor market, and leadership. If it's something that we believe will impact the future of building and remodeling, then we go out and find a leading expert on that topic, invite them in as our spotlighted guest to share. So today that guest is Ed Johnson of Johnson Global Ventures based in Windermere, Florida. Ed's 30-year business career has taken him into many industries across several countries. He is a leader, mentor, and entrepreneur involved in real estate, healthcare, and also various sustainability ventures. He's been director of the Northview Acquisition Corporation, which is a publicly traded NASDAQ company, and he is the former radio host for the Delta Business Journal. And now we're actually recording this. It won't air till after, but we're recording this, interestingly, uh, during Black History Month. So I want to add that uh, Ed has also been great inspiration for young African-Americans who aspire to build and achieve the American dream. Um, Ed is here today to provide us insight and trends in real estate and development, as well as just his unique perspective and advice on leadership. Um, Ed, I know that you're busy this week uh, attending the CPAC conference there in Orlando, so thank you so much for taking time, but welcome to Construction Disruption. Thank you very much, uh, gentlemen, Todd and Seth. It's a pleasure and honor to be here. Well, thanks so much. I look forward to our conversation. So, you have had a long and successful history um, of business and also community development, economic development. Um, I thought it was interesting that you also, uh, for several years, were a sales trainer or senior sales trainer for Bristol Myers Squibb. Um, would love to hear in your own words a little bit about your background and where your career has taken you over the years. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, starting out, uh, and I and I think that as we get older, we realize what our real gifts and skills are. And uh, while I started out uh, early on in my career uh, in sales, um, you know, I realized that uh, my strong gifts were in communications um, and leadership. So, but over time, you you tend to earn positions of leadership as you get good at what you do, uh, as you get as you get mentored, et cetera. Uh, I feel very uh, blessed to have had uh, very clear parents uh, to guide me and, and uh, that were uh, college educated. Uh, and since you did mention, you know, Black History Month, I think what's really important is that, um, you know, my my parents met in college um, and, um, you know, my on my maternal side, um, my grandmother actually, uh, besides my mother, uh, her three brothers, all, she put all four of those kids through college. Uh, wow. which is really interesting. Yeah. And you're talking back 
in the um, 50s and 60s, right? So for African-Americans to have gone to college back then and to aspire to do what they've done, they're a big inspiration for me. Uh, of course, my, my parents instilled uh, how important education was uh, for success because they said, you know, if you want to play sports, you, you got to get A's and B's. So, I mean, it was just a, just a non-issue, right? So leadership starts very early on. Uh, I think my career started very early uh, with um, um, parents giving guidance and good, strong teachers and coaches and things like that. So uh, for me, uh, regardless of what I've done uh, in the business world, uh, I've always wanted to give back. I sit on uh, multiple boards um, uh, in my community for the county, for the city, uh, nonprofit boards, uh, and also some nonprofit organizations. So I think it's important to to lead the way. Um, and um, that's a little bit about me besides my professional career. That's fantastic. Well, thank you, too, for your service uh, to community as well. And and uh, I'm right there with you. I love that aspect of giving back. And we see that in so many leaders. I'm, I'm kind of curious. Um, I know you live in Florida now. Where did you did you grow up in Florida or? Yes, I did. Um, I am a native Floridian. Um, I spent early part of my career in Florida with Bristol Myers Squibb and also the state of Florida, actually economic development uh, in a consulting role and which is also a sales sales role um, and uh, move up to Chicago uh, for 12 years and um, really took on uh, a lot of big city uh, issues, working with some of the world's largest companies like Accenture and Deloitte and Abbott and companies like that. Um, they were my clients and also um um, working for another uh, very large company. So, you know, when you learn how to to learn the corporate way, but you have entrepreneurial skills, uh, you have the best of both worlds. And um, after 12 years in Chicago, uh, I was headhunted to be the CEO of the Delta um, Economic Development um, Commission. And so I, I did that and, and down in the Mississippi Delta and eventually came, came back to Florida to take care of uh, an elderly father. Okay, very good. So at this point, your main uh, business, I believe, is Johnson Global Ventures, which you started about four years ago. Um, as I understand it, part of what you do is help analyze real estate projects and investment opportunities for your clients. Um, Love, could you share some of the things that you have done through uh, Johnson Global Ventures? Yes, and, and especially on the construction side, um, I've had uh, the opportunity to work with some of the largest developers in the nation. Um, and um, as my clients work side by side with them on, on projects uh, in the state of Florida, but, but also looking at a construction from uh, an, a, a big picture project, right? So there's a lot that goes into any construction project, as a lot of your viewers know, um, uh, that, that that from building materials, the cost, the strategy, uh, uh, sorry, strategy, uh, all the zoning issues, all the things that go into it. So I, I have to be on on top of all of the issues that go on when you want to construct a project. Um, what's very significant is even before the pandemic, uh, we were beginning to see uh, you know construction prices go up, and of course when the pandemic hit, you know we saw we saw the lumber prices you know continue to skyrocket. Um, I specifically had, uh, there was one project that, that was being done, one of my projects, uh, not too far from Disney, that in one month, the price went up uh, $300,000 uh, because of construction prices. So, so for me, um, you know, I mainly work with, with large projects, um, could be a hotel resort, um, could be um, multifamily development or single family development or, or any kind of development that, that 
that uh, needs to be constructed by by these investors. Uh, but but having a bird's eye view, I think having worked for the state of Florida in economic development gives me uh, a little bit of uh, inside track with the um, government officials. And uh, when it comes down to zoning and planning and things like that, they, they don't, you know, I can talk to them and say, look, I understand the zoning issues and, and that you get a friendlier face instead of someone that's tried to stop a developer. Um, but construction is, as you know, is very, uh, besides exp- expensive, um, it's also something that um, it's, it, it's, some, it, it's something that, that the community has got to get behind, right? Because if the community doesn't get behind your project, then the, it could be dead in the water. So that's that idea. And I know you talk a lot about this, um, this idea of helping to develop and inspire a shared vision uh, within an organization. I suppose that comes into play sometimes with real estate development and, and pursuing various opportunities. Um, what does that look like in terms of um, good advice for folks who want to inspire that sort of shared vision? Well, I, and I, I think that's very important that that your clientele uh, work very hard to develop good relationships with the people that are in charge of planning, development, zoning, environmental issues, th- those types of things. Um, you know, maybe, maybe 20, 30 years ago it was a little easier to some degree. Uh, but today, I, I think that if if you as as a construction manager, as a developer, if if, if you cannot work in tandem and as, as a team, people and people can't see that, then you're not inspiring a shared vision. Um, you know, I mean, the, you know, I think we all need development, right? We all we all need good development projects. That's that, that's I think that's the elephant in the room that that I think every construction manager needs to be able to address to to the government officials. Uh, sometimes we see government officials as those people that are going to say no, and oftentimes they do, but sometimes they don't understand what's really being done, right? You have uh, people that want to preserve the environment. They have people that, that don't really understand. I think so. If you don't inspire a shared vision, uh, all the, you won't have everyone on board. The stakeholders won't be on board. So I, that's why it's very important to be able to collaborate. I think that's really what Inspire Shared Vision means. I remember one of our previous guests here on Construction Disruption was uh, Paula Parker from Massachusetts, and she talked about leading her community through the development and and developing the vision and then the actual physical development of a beltway around their town. And it was very interesting as she delved into how she developed that kind of a vision and got other folks on board. So kind of switching away for a moment here from the real estate, I, I was really intrigued um, when I was listening to you talk about how you got involved in the commercial development of bamboo as a commodity. <laughs> and I just think that's pretty fascinating and because I am – every once in a while I run into various bamboo construction products. And uh, I remember Seth and I were in Japan together several years ago and uh, visited a, a, a bamboo forest. That was pretty fascinating as well. But I'm kind of curious, how did you come to be involved in uh, promoting bamboo? Well, when I was a CEO for down in the Delta for the Economic Development Commission, uh, I did a fair amount of travel globally and – um, American Way magazine actually had an article on bamboo being the next green gold and that it, it, it produces 10,000 products and things like that. Uh, this was 2008. So I think everyone in the construction industry remembers 2008, oh, yes, yes. right, painfully. So um, 
my job um, was tasked with with creating jobs and uh, in, in, in the poorest part of the poorest state in the nation, uh, which is very difficult. Uh, however, we were growing cotton, soybeans, rice, et cetera, and they're in the, in the region that everyone knows Mississippi is, is, is very uh, good at doing. Uh, but there was a problem. There was a problem with jobs. And I said, why don't we just grow bamboo? Of course, people thought I was absolutely nuts. Um, so we got millions of acres. Why not grow bamboo? And we can create these construction materials. Uh, engineered bamboo, uh, not the stuff we see on the Jackie Chan movies, right? <laughs> so we, we, we want the planks. We want the stuff that builds trusses and trellises and wall boards and things like that. Um, and so um, I had my master's in business, but I got my second MBA, which is the master's in bamboo. Uh, which means <laughs> So I was up at night, late nights doing research. I have I have a certificate in marketing research. And so I was doing all this research. I was talking to people that knew more about bamboo than I did all over the world. And um, I, I came, you know, there were a lot of different materials, switchgrass and all these different materials you know, that we use for different things. And um, I, and I, it came back that bamboo was that one material that would continue to grow back when you chop it down. Um, for the next 80 years, you chop down one, one bamboo stalk, it's going to grow back. So I thought, well, it's totally sustainable, uh, grows anywhere, but the North and South pole, why not grow it in Mississippi? So, um, I got the farmers together with the industry and created the North American bamboo summit. And people came from around North and Central America. Um, and for two days, we had this bamboo summit at Mississippi state research center and all these smart people, scientists and things like that. Um, and of course, I think at that time I was probably called the bamboo heretic, uh, <laughs> thinking that, you know, because I had all these farmers saying, you know, what are we going to do with our, our soybeans and rice? We know how much we can get for that, but what do we get for our bamboo? So now all of a sudden I'm creating this whole new industry. Um, and, um, and I'm, I got three heads and, and, uh, but I could see the vision. I said, you know, once, once you, and, and listen, other people, I was only taking what was already done. People had already created these planks and ASTM, there was an ASTM standard for, for bamboo in construction, uh, for, for one type, one species of bamboo. So, uh, at that point, um, things began to launch. I got, I got this one, uh, guy that was on my board that's, that, uh, that owns about five different businesses. He's a billionaire. And so we traveled out to the state of Washington and looked at some, looked at the bamboo uh, research center and he started growing on his farm and, and uh, next thing I know that I was in Europe, in Belgium, I'll never forget this. I was at a research center in Brussels and this scientist says, yeah, some guy over in the States did this bamboo summit, you know? And I said, what are you looking at? You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I, I can't believe the internet is that powerful. I am the know? bamboo guy. <laughs> I could not believe it, right? So we're, we're so then I, I really began to say, okay, maybe we're making a little bit of progress. Uh, of course, there was a, a big leap by by where I was to getting into Home Depot, right? Uh, or Dixie Supply, some of the suppliers that, that are out there uh, in distribution centers. Uh, so so when you create an industry, I mean, there's a lot of uphill you have to do, uphill battle. And um, But now I, I, uh, you find bamboo trellises and trusses and wall boards, and you, you, you can actually do 3D printing with bamboo materials and build structures. And, and so... You know, our technology has evolved to the point to where it's widely accepted in the construction industry. The only issue was we had to get the price down, right? Um, and so I've got a big industrial client, actually, ironically, that in the logistics space, they're the number one 
global leader in this logistics product. And now they spec in my bamboo boards in, in, in that the construction ish, ish, uh, industry. But to get the price down was the big issue, right? Uh, because it was not basically the strength of, of, of one, uh, let's say, bamboo construction materials like three to seven times stronger than than wood. Right. So so the the customers wanted the same price as, as, as wood or pine. And we're like, it's just not going to happen. You know, you can't you know, you, you're looking at a, a totally different product that's going to last, you know, five, six, seven times longer than anything you've ever seen. Uh, it's not going to have termites. It's not a lot of issues like that. So so I went through years of that um, going and speaking at a lot of a lot of uh, engagements uh, about these issues and talking with engineers and things like that. So um then, of course, now, you know, we have the pandemic and then the cost of pine goes way up and then it gets closer to that bamboo price. Uh, you have other producers besides China. Uh, now you've got Vietnam and you've got the Philippines and, and Central America. Uh, we finally are starting to see some, some uh, bamboo um, uh, manufacturing in other parts of the world besides uh, all the way in China, which, which was my number one issue. My number one issue was to bring jobs back to America. Uh, away from China. China had at that time in 2010, they had 1 million people working in the bamboo industry. And um, now they likely have close to 3 million people just devoted to just bamboo or more. But but Vietnam has siphoned off a lot of their, their business. Uh, they're easier to work with that I've found historically than working. With. I work with people in China for 10 years, probably almost every day. So, um, but that's that's bamboo in a nutshell. So is there bamboo bamboo being commercially grown in Mississippi at this point also? There's a little bit. But yes, there, there are some farms there uh, in Mississippi. Now we have two or three in Florida. Hmm. Uh, you're going to see more and more. You're going to see some in Louisiana. You'll see some in Arizona. Um, and, and you'll see some in Oregon. Uh, at some point, you're going you're gonna to see uh, bamboo production grown all over. Um, ironically, in the 50s, I think the U.S. Department of Energy encouraged farmers to grow bamboo as a biofuel source. And so, um, uh, you know, I know we're talking construction right now, but but uh, because of the many uses now, if that had happened, what would have what, what where we'd be talking right now, you know, this would be old hat. This wouldn't even be news. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but the farmers thought, well, you know, we don't know the material. Um we know if we grow 10,000 acres of rice, what we're going to get, that kind of thing. So it didn't take off back then, but now we're seeing a shift in that. So I'm curious, what is the growth time? I realize, you know, you cut it off and it grows back, but what is that growth time before harvest? Okay. Uh, so with, 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 with the fear of getting too technical here, uh, I'll, I'll try to be, be somewhat easy with the growth because there's 1,600 species of bamboo. That's a, that's a polite way of saying that was a dumb question, Todd, but I'll do my best. No, <laughs> no Seth got it right away. So, but no, it's um, actually, it's, 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 it's about 1,600 different species of bamboo. And so um, the species that we're discussing uh, for the Guadawa is the, is the one that ASTM has said, you know, they approve it for construction because of how thick it is and how hard it is, uh, once it, once it uh, dries out. So Guadawa is a, a tropical, it's a native tropical, uh, bamboo. Now I've grown it in central Florida. You can grow Guadawa in other places, but it grows in tro- hot tropical climates. So if you go to, to c- central Florida and below, go down to South Florida, the Caribbean, Southern India, um, really hot, southern China, 
hot places. Uh, Guadalajara will grow great. It'll grow in Arizona. Um, so as long as you water bamboo in the first six months, you don't have to water it again. Um, you know, unlike cotton or, 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 or trees or something like that. So you don't have to water it. You just plant bamboo. You don't need fertilizer. It'll just grow. And, um, three, I would say Guadalajara, you can harvest it in two, about two years, two to three years, which is unlike a tree, it's going to take 10 to 12 years, right? Sure. Um, now, Moso bamboo that a lot of people are very familiar with, um, if you look at HGTV, uh, talking about construction, uh, remember uh, Pam Anderson, um, you know, really made um, bamboo flooring popular, right? She goes on HGTV and everyone needs, wants bamboo flooring. That's, that species is called Moso. Uh, or Philistachus, uh, bamboos, Philistachus is what it's called, uh, pubicines. That's, that's, that's Moso. Moso is what's so famous, uh, for bamboo flooring and some other bamboo products. Uh, but Moso is not as durable to hold up a wall, a building, a truss, a trellis. So you want Guadawa, uh, or a species called bam- Bambusa balcoa, uh, which is also a tropical, uh, bamboo that is very, like, if you see my hand, that it, from here to here, it's solid, and in the in the in the center, it's it's solid, and it's 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 almost as hard as steel. I mean, it's it's unreal. Uh, so those are the species, and they grow in two to three years. You can harvest the other ones. Moso takes five to seven years for you to harvest it. Okay, very interesting. Well, I remember uh, again going back to when we were in Japan, seeing scaffolding on buildings made out of bamboo, and you know, just how incredible that was, and certainly showed me the strength of it. So kind of switching gears here a little bit, um, in thinking about our audience, which typically uh, is a lot of younger folks, um, fairly new in their careers in construction or design industry, um, any particular books or authors or anything that you think people should be paying attention to um, early on in their careers? I would say that, and this is not necessarily geared toward one industry, but um, one of my favorite books, uh, by Kuzis and Posner is called the leadership challenge. Yes. The leadership challenge. Uh, it's about three or 400 pages, but you would not put it down. It's a great book. Uh, these gentlemen did about 20, 25 years of research on leadership. It's very practical, hands-on. It's not a lot of theory. Uh, so if your audience is, if there's some young folks in the audience, I'd highly recommend it. I actually used it when I taught a graduate course on leadership when I lived in Chicago at Argosy University. So, uh, I use that textbook and I use John Maxwell's book of the 21 uh, irrefutable qualities of leadership. Sure. Uh, I mean, he, Maxwell is a phenomenal writer, by the way. It's easy to understand his writings. And uh, and you, when you read his, his writings on leadership, you go, oh, wish I thought about that. Um, it's real simple. But the, those two books, I would say The Leadership Challenge, um, 21 Irrefutable Qualities of Leadership by Maxwell, Um hopefully in, in, in two years or less, I'll have my leadership book out. Uh, I've just got some other ones in, in the harbor before then. So, And I wanted to ask about that. I understand you do have a couple of books uh, you're working on right now. Can you uh, give us any sort of a sneak preview of what the topics are going to be? Well, uh, I did I did uh, write a book, uh, or at least in the middle of writing a book, on, on my time in the Mississippi Delta. Uh, and um, it's it certainly... It won't be called leadership in the title, uh, anything like that, but it, it's all about leadership, um, and progress. Uh, and, um, 
I think that's that's one book that is is going to be coming out. And then I have another one uh, totally different than your audience is probably thinking, but another one on sports leadership and all the work that I used to do when I lived in Chicago with the NBA and the NFL. Uh, and I know that's not construction, but but you ask. So, um, yeah, those two books are coming out first. Well, that's that's pretty interesting. So you were working with some of the pro teams on um, leadership and inspiration and things there. Yeah. Leadership issues in a big way. So, um, yeah, that was a big part of my life for a while, but it, it all goes back to, you know, whatever you do, if you want to be a leader and let's say in construction as a company, you think about some of the larger construction companies, whenever I meet the, 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 the GCs or I meet the CEOs or founders of these companies and how successful they've been, it really all boils down to leadership. Um, you know, so if, you know, what construction company is, is better than the other one? If you think about the people that you've done work with, um, and that you consistently do work with, you say, well, you know what? This guy's crews always show up on time. You know, they're always on or under budget. You know, they, they're, you know, they're on top of things. You know, they, they do what they say they're going to do. If there's a change, something coming up, you know, they let us know ahead of time or they're honest about it. I mean, all of those are good leadership qualities. Basically, you do what you say you're going to do. Um, and you're just real about things and, and, and you, you walk with integrity and, and, and you have some ethics. And so to me, that's what leadership is all about. Uh, and so in construction, how, how important is that, right? Sure. That, you know, these people, they need to do what they say they're going to do because people's lives are at stake when you erect a structure. So, um, materials have to be proper. Um, the, your subs have to be right. The engineering has got to be right. The designs have to be right. And so, um, so to me, it really all goes back to the consistency of someone's character and their leadership qualities. So it's an interesting environment out there in the world. I mean, here we are coming out of basically the shutdown of the world during COVID. And, you know, we find ourselves in a in a pretty brisk economy. We find uh, supply chain problems. We find inflation starting to kind of kick in now and seeing some wobbliness in a few areas. But um, for your clients who are looking at strategies and investment opportunities, um, what are some of the pieces of advice you're giving them right now as far as things to be thinking about or, or keeping in mind? Yeah, I mean, there, there is, it was complicated before Russia invaded Ukraine. Yes. Uh, and, and now that that's going on, uh, that, that really it somewhat complicates issues um, because uh, we, you start looking at, at the, inf- the inflation issues, which, of course, fuel and oil is, is a major driver of inflation. It uh, doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum that you're on. You, you have all you have to do is just go to a gas station and figure that one out. Right. Uh, but but there's so many products that are made from oil. Right. And a lot of us don't really think about that unless you're in construction or unless you're in certain uh, professions. So plastics and all sorts of different things are made from oil. So um, we have this shift, of course, because of my background, I, I'm, I'm all about sustainability. There's no doubt about that. However, um, I'm also all about I don't I don't think fossil fuels is a bad thing. Uh, I think that our technology today, we're very we're so much better at at, at, at you know, knowing how to harvest oil, right, and make products out of it. But today, with with what I advise my clients on, I mean, they're always looking for value in whatever they invest in, whatever they do. So if it's a construction project, you know, they now, so let's say now that they would pay, they have to pay less for land. (laughs) They're going to construct a project, right? They can't, they know the building materials have gone up 35 to 55%. So where are they going to be able to make the project work? Everything has to pencil. And I, I think that's what's so important. I mean, if, 
you know, what I like in talking about talking to you guys is that it's it, it, the bottom line is the bottom line. You know, if you're going to be doing a project, everything has to pencil write it. That means it has to net out. You have to be able to make money because most of the people in your audience and that you've worked with are they're dot coms. They're not dot orgs. Right. They're not nonprofit organizations. They're trying to make a profit to take care of their families, uh, to take care of their employees and things like that. So. So what I working with my my folks, I just have to work with them closely when it comes to the materials and material costs. But um, but some of those costs are passed on to the consumer. Right. Uh, we're seeing a bit shift now into single family built to rent. Um, uh, there's a gentleman that, that, that I work closely with and he was he was like a heretic three years ago doing single family build to rent communities. And they were like, are you crazy? And he's like, no, you know, and now because the inventory of single family homes is so low, all the rents have gone up for apartments, for homes. Uh, if you want to rent a home, I mean, rents have, have some, in some places doubled and tripled. So um, so what do you do? We have a supply issue. We have a supply chain issue with building, building materials, we have supply chain issue with available homes and buildings and things like that. We we don't have enough office space in, in, in certain parts in Florida. So I'm sure you experience that as well. So. Um, so right now it's a matter of, uh, unfortunately, a lot of them are sitting on the sidelines. They're holding their cash, um, and, and they're looking to see what's going to happen with the fed. Um, because even though some of my clients are very large, uh, companies that they, they have wall street money, right? So some of them have to sit on the sidelines and see what the fed's going to do about the inflation issue. Um, the fed's in a difficult position now with, with, with the the European war. So they likely are going to hike rates, but they likely are not going to hike as aggressively. So what does that do for the U.S. dollar? Well, if they hike rates, uh, typically the, you know, the real estate industry goes down, but we have a, we have a, a tightening in inventory. So we may not see uh, inventory. Uh, I mean, we may not see real estate sales and, and commercial and residential go down in the next few months. We, we may see them remain steady until we have an excess or well, yeah, an excess of supply, which likely could take, um, probably a good 18 to 24 months because we only have 30 days of uh, inventory, I think nationwide of single family homes. And then if we start looking at multifamily homes and things like that, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a delicate balance right now. So a lot of my clients are on the sidelines and I, I, you know, would advise them to just watch, you know, don't stay on the sidelines too long. I mean, I advise them during the pandemic, not to stay on the sidelines because most of their projects, construction projects take two years, two to three years. So I said, you know, don't st- don't stay on the sidelines. And some of them, most of them stayed on the sidelines during the pandemic. Some of them did not. And then after the pandemic started to ease up uh, six, seven, eight, nine months ago, they wanted to get back in the game and they missed they missed some buying opportunities during the pandemic when when prices were deflated a little bit. So my advice is right now, maybe you stay on the sidelines a little bit, but not too long. Very good. and Interesting. So I know something that's important to you personally, and we touched on earlier, is mentorship and building into younger folks. Um, what are some of the ways that you have done that, or what are some of the ways you would uh, suggest others do to get involved in that process of building into to the next generation, if you will? Well, I think the first thing is that you have to model the way. Uh, I hate to sound like the Coos's imposter book, <laughs> but that's, that's really, you know, I mean, I love their five, their five, you know, uh, comments on leadership. You have to model it. I mean, you, you know, I, if, if, if I don't walk the walk, you know, I'm just out for a walk. I'm not leading anyone, right? They can't, if they don't see, if they look at, at my success, I can show them, uh, what it's taken to get here, all the grinding it out. 
you know, you mix your talent with your with your effort and, and you can become successful if you don't give up. Um, and so I have mentored um, kids and as a as a as an athletic coach, football, basketball coach, I've mentored them outside of sports, um, you know, just, you know, talking to their lives, listening to them. Uh, trying to inspire them to have goals. It, it, and I'm amazed. I mean, if you have kids, you understand, even talk to your own kids, sit down and you sit down and say, well, let's talk about your goals. And they look at you like a deer in the headlights, right? Initially, and they go, oh, I guess I need to think about that. And uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of kids today, especially the ones that I've sat down with, you sit down and you ask them about their goals and they're just stunned. But then once you start talking to them and listening to them, they're very appreciative because no one's really ever sat down and talked to them about these things. Uh, it doesn't matter if they're, if they're in a very uh, wealthy area or in the inner city. I mean, I, I am amazed that the kids are pretty much the same when it comes to lack of goals. And it's like, you know, their, their parent might own multiple businesses, but the kids never really sat down and thought about, you know, now, thankfully, a lot of these kids, they, they do have some parents that have been successful and they, they have um, someone's modeled the way to, to, to success in their own home. And then there's some kids that have never, ever seen that. And that's where you have to just realize, OK, you know, I need to sit down and just, you know, listen to this person, take them to lunch. Um, and, and I used to do a lot more uh, consistency, like once a week, once a month, that kind of thing. You sit down kind of like a big brother, big sister situation. Um, but I, I do see, I do see kids a lot. Um, you know, the parents kind of love it when, cause the, you know how it is. The parents love when you talk to their kids, you know, like I love it when other parents talk to my kids, you know? And, uh, so I do a lot of that on a weekly basis. And, um, as you turn around and the kids are like, you know, oh my God, they're taller than you now and they're grown. Um, so I think that's very important. And, um, you know, if you're not doing that and you're in business, you're, you're just you're just for yourself. You know, I, I think that you won't be as successful as you could be um, because, you know, you got to give back. That's just just my thinking. Good stuff. And I, I liked what you said as far as kids, regardless of their background, tend to all be the same. I, I remember when I was a kid, I mainly cared about my hairstyle. Um, God had a, <laughs> God had a funny way of taking care of that one for me, didn't he? <laughs> I'm curious, are, are there any trends, back uh, to construction a little bit, any trends sure. you're seeing out there in construction and development right now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, speed. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing a, a whatever whatever can be more efficient when it comes to speed and, 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 and cost issues. Um, now, I, I'll start first on sustainability issues. I am seeing more sustainable materials being used where it's applicable. Um, that, that we do have because of some of the environmental certifications like LEED, uh, you know, green certification, things like that. I do find that, that a lot of construction managers and architects are starting to spec in, uh, more of the renewable materials where they can, right? They're looking for that. I mean, even over the overseas, even in projects that I know in, in Qatar and Dubai, they're, they're trying to do that, right? So, um, um, but when it comes down to uh, over here, like I, I, I'm seeing projects that are um, whatever they can do that to make it to make it quicker uh, with 3D materials. Um, you know, some of the um, I'm trying to think of the term where the where the buildings fold up. You know, some of the, some of the micro uh, modular construction and things. Yeah, modular sure. modular buildings, tilt wall construction. That's right. a big deal you know, these days. Um, I mean, I'm amazed at how how fast large 
uh, distribution centers have gone up on the interstate. Yes. How quickly. I mean, in the past, it would take two or three years, you know, and, and I've seen them go up in, in six months. Uh, and we're, we're talking, you know, 100,000 square foot, 500,000, actually 500,000 square foot Amazon facility that, that, that went up in a matter of three or four months. It's amazing. Wow. And that's all because of construction materials. Yeah, a lot of it's about speed and, and reducing labor costs and, and getting that return on investment flowing. Well, this has been really neat. Um, we really are close to the end of our time, and, and I want to thank you again for joining us, Ed. But uh, before we close out, um, I have to invite you to be part of something that we do on every episode called Rapid Fire Questions. So this is seven <laughs> questions. Uh, they may be serious. They may be silly. Um, all you got to do is give us your immediate quick response to answer them. And our audience okay. needs to understand that doesn't have a clue what I'm going to ask him. So are you up to the challenge of rapid fire? I don't know if I have a choice. <laughs> That's probably true. Anyway, well, thank you. Uh, we'll, we'll alternate questions and make it a little bit more fun. So I'll start out. All right. First question. If you had the ability to invent anything from your wildest dreams, what would you invent? We had someone once we asked this, he said he would invent a self-unloading truck, which I thought was pretty cool. We need those. <laughs> so what would you invent? Oh, my goodness. Um, oh, I guess it's getting a little noisy here now. Um, sorry about that. Oh, you're good. Yeah. So if I had the ability to invent something, what would it be? Uh, probably uh, air travel um, that could get us from one coast to the next in 30 minutes. Ah, that'd be awesome. Like that. Yeah, absolutely. So question number two, how long does it take you to get ready for your day in the mornings? <laughs> 20 minutes. That's about mine also. Uh, third question, what's the best age to be? 40. I like that. I don't think you know anything until you're 40. Yeah. Favorite place in the world you've ever been? Switzerland. Interesting. Geneva, Switzerland. What about it? Um, the international feel, the flair. I mean, it used, to, it used to be Belgium, but honestly, I think Switzerland is just, you know, it's so clean. Everything's clean. I mean, you, they have buildings and, and, and there are areas around Switzerland, castles, and that been there for like, you know, a thousand years, and it's cleaner than many places in the U.S. You know, I just, I'm just stunned at how clean the place is. Uh, and the people are very friendly. So, yeah, definitely Switzerland. Very cool. I was just thinking my co-host is in trouble on that. We don't know anything till we're 40 thing. Got a lot to learn we'll, over the next 10 years. We'll yeah. cut you some slack. Okay, well, he okay. looks 40 to me. So. <laughs> Good deal. Okay. Uh, question number five. The worst advice anyone has ever given you? Oh, my God. Not playing college basketball. Oh, so someone advised you not to. Did you follow their advice? I did. Should have never done it. And that's why I had my daughter run Division One college track when she had the ability to do it. And she did. Favorite dessert? Tiramisu. Okay, now I'm hungry. Final rapid-fire question. What was your favorite game to play as a child? Wow. Monopoly. <laughs> that's cool. I had a, our son loved Monopoly. I mean, we would play it multiple times a day. I was, I really didn't like the game when we started and certainly didn't like the game after that period. I mean, I, I was just amazed at how you could buy Park Place and buy all these places and make money. I mean, I had no idea. I guess I was a little capitalist back then and didn't know it. Yeah, I was going to say it. Yeah, it's followed you through. That's kind of awesome. To me, it was just so much fun, you know, and I hear these people complaining today, Monopoly so long, we want Monopoly light. What? 
<laughs> you got to enjoy the whole game, you know? Come on. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much. This has been a real uh, pleasure and a privilege. Enjoyed chatting with you. Is there anything uh, we haven't covered today? We've covered a lot of ground, but anything we haven't covered that you'd like to share with our audience? No, I, I just think that I'm glad uh, that, that you're providing this, you know, this interview. I just think that from construction side, just be patient uh, regardless of what's happening in the economy. Um, you know, heard a guy this morning, you know, uh, states, one of the quote unquote experts say that, you know, the economy is still very strong, which it is. Um, and that, um, and then put things in perspective. Um, one of the guys said that the, that the Russia's economy is about the same size as, as Florida's. <laughs> kind of puts it in perspective, right? So be encouraged. We're going to make it through this, regardless of what happens over there. And um, just keep the faith, keep going strong. You know, our, our, you know it's, it's, it's going to be okay in the next, next year or so. We'll be good. So I suppose a lot of the... Uh conversation at CPAC has kind of pivoted to be about the about Russia and Ukraine. Is that true? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, that That's come up. And, and and what's really come up a lot is, is leadership, lack thereof, and those that have it, you know, and so that um, and, and, and what's going on and, and this whole thing around um, why, uh, you know, current president didn't step in and, and that are they pushing us toward try to go toward a green economy. But you know, we, we want to take this back and realize that, no, we're losing American jobs, you know, and without American jobs, it, you know, it's, it's not a good thing. So uh, leadership's a big deal right now. That's the topic of discussion here at CPAC. And, um, you know, we think that, you know, America's strong. We're going to snap back. And our, our, now our allies are beginning to understand um, just how valuable we are as, as, as an ally. Yeah, good stuff. Well, thank you for what you're doing. This has been a pleasure. If if any of our audience members wanted to get in touch with you, Ed, what what's their best way to do that? You know, they can they can reach out, uh, you know, via email uh, or LinkedIn. My LinkedIn profile. They look up Ed Johnson, uh, Johnson Global Ventures uh, on LinkedIn. They'll find me. Uh, website actually is going to be going live. They're working on it now. Uh, so it should be live again next two, three days. And uh, so they can look up Johnson Global Ventures sometime next week. Fantastic. Well, by the time this is published, it, it'll be up there then. That's great. Yes. Well, this this is great. Thank you so much, Ed. We've really enjoyed this. Thank you. want to thank our audience for tuning in to this episode of Construction Disruption with our uh, special guest, Ed Johnson of Johnson Global Ventures. Um, I've really found this to be quite informative and, and inspiring, too. It's great to hear people living out their passions. We encourage our audience, please watch for future episodes of our podcast. We have lots more great guests on tap coming up in future weeks. Uh, Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Um, Until then, as we always say, change the world for someone. Uh, Make them smile, encourage them, bring them hope. Um, Some of the most powerful things we can do uh, really to change the world. Um, God bless. Take care. Uh, This is Isaiah Industries signing off. Until the next episode of Construction Disruption.